Now there's a fantastic track to start the morning with Rag and Bone Man and Human. And that's how it starts. What are the songs that you'd like to hear played this morning? Songs that are going to make your Sunday feel yes, yes, yes. We also want to hear those stories that you might know. Perhaps uh, stories about ghostly memories, stories that haunt us. Because later on we'll be chatting to the editor of a book called Hauntings, the author Nick Mthongo. So listen up for that one as well well. We're going to go to our environment story though of the morning and uh, one of the stories that has come out over the last couple of weeks has been some deep concern raised by a fishing community in Nidbela, uh, northern KwaZulu-Natal and the issue is around conservation practices and its relationship between the community of Nibela and the locals who fish in St. Lucia Lake which is part of this protected Isimangalisa wetland park. What happens when there is a community that is part of a protected park and how do they continue their own uh, practices, their own small sustainable economy, etc. On the line we've got Jackie Sunday who is a researcher working with the Coastal Justice Network. Jackie, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Good morning, Michelle, and to your listeners and thank you for your interest in this very worrying situation in Kwanebella near St. Lucia in northern KZN. Indeed, and we really appreciate you highlighting this this problem. I think it is is one of great concern. So, so Jackie, let's let's go to the the micro, and then we'll go to the macro straight from there. The micro, of yes. course, is what's going on specifically for the community of Kwanibela and the Isimangalisa Wetland Park. What are, is your experience, and what is happening? Well. It's a, it's a long story that really goes all the way back several hundred years when the Nabella community's ancestors settled the Nabella Peninsula, which is up in the north of St. Lucia. And subsequently, the waters surrounding their peninsula were incorporated into the St. Lucia Wetland Park. And as many of your listeners will know, and I'm sure have visited the area in 1999, it became a World Heritage Area. It's a, a really famous area. However, the community has always depended on the waters surrounding their their peninsula for fish and also for the collection of reeds. So those have been the, the two key livelihood products that have enabled them to feed themselves and to sustain their families. In 2008, the Isimangalisa World, um, World Heritage Park was established, so the St. Lucia Wetland Park became the Isimangalisa um, World Heritage Site. And then fast-forwarding to 2020, um, I think what we're seeing really is a story of policy incoherence, sadly, between the conservation authorities, the Department of Environment, and then the department that was responsible for the recognition and allocation of fishing rights. So this is an indigenous community that has a local customary system of law, so really has customary fishing rights to their land, to their waters, and to the forest where they live. But this hasn't been recognized by the authorities when Itimangalisa Wetland Park was set up. And there was very little communication with the community or consultation. However, in the interim, as many of your your listeners will know, the Department of Environment has been moving towards recognition of small-scale fishing rights. In 2020, the the community of Nabella were finally recognized as a small-scale fishing community and given the right to fish. And their permit said they could fish from Cozy Bay in the north all the way through to Port Edward. Yeah. So they continued fishing in the park. And very sadly, in 
in September 2020, a young man, um, and Pilo went fishing. It's a form of really small-scale subsistence fishing just to support his family with two fellow fishers. They were shot at by rangers. Um, Pilo fell to the ground and, and was, was killed. The other, one of the others was shot and ran away. And um, subsequently, the, the rangers suggested that the three had been poaching, but they were never able to to prove that they were poaching. The community and the fishers were adamant that they had only been fishing. So, Jackie, and I, then I, I just part- wanted no, Jackie. I just want to jump in here because I think you've like you framed the picture very clearly. And so, th- there's a couple of questions that I have, and the first yes. one, I suppose, is. We know that the Isimangaliso is a UNESCO heritage site. It's a World Heritage That's Site. That's correct. Now, yes. when we talk about heritage, we're also talking about indigenous knowledge, indigenous heritage as well. And I'm wondering, surely part of the um, process, the community's engagement, is not just about having the economy of the lake, but it's also about what it means for their ancestors and something far more kind of culturally intrinsic as well and is that not that is not being recognized either yes Michelle you really put your finger on it I think sadly there's been no mechanism or structure set up to ensure that the local communities cultural and spiritual rights can be recognized and sort of facilitated and that their incredible local ecological knowledge can be drawn into the management of the area and the environmental management of the area. And the community have been asking for co-management for years now. Yeah. So at a very high governance level, the park, the, the wetland authority does include the chiefs in a co-management structure. But this particular community is very vulnerable because their land is outside of the border of the park, but their waters are inside the park. And there's no mechanism that includes the local women that harvest reeds or the women and men that fish in the management of the resource in discussions as to what would be a sustainable allocation um, of fish, etc. And this is part of the problem. I think you've, you've really hit the nail on the head. And what we've seen, I mean, it, 14 months after Kalimpilo was killed, yeah. um, the family still hadn't been permitted to go back to the water's edge of the lake where he was, was shot to perform the necessary ritual to set his soul free and in yeah. terms of their particular cultural practice they need to do that for the family to have peace and to collect and his sadly, spirit as yeah. some of your listeners will know 14 months after Pelampilo was killed his his brother was shot dead by rangers again his body is has still not been found and the family not only have this trauma but they have the the kind of fear that um his body will never be returned to them, that they'll never be able to, to get peace and to set his soul, soul free. Jackie, so it's an extremely difficult position for the family and for the community as a whole. Yeah. Jackie, the, 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 the big story around that obviously sto- talks again to the relationship between community and environment. And yes. we, we saw last year the story of um, Shell and that particular conversation and what it means to engage, but to truly engage with community. Yes. And yes. how are we seeing um, the management of Ismangili? So obviously we don't have them here on the line to, to talk about it from their point of view. So let's 
be quite yes. you know, careful in terms of how we approach this. But how yes. are you wanting them to engage and currently how are you feeling that they are engaging? Yes. So very unfortunately, last in 2020, Isimangaliso put out a draft integrated management plan for their management of the area for the next 10 years. Yeah. It was towards the end of COVID, uh, the, the COVID lockdown. It was an online process. People could download a very hefty document, go through it, and then make comments. They held three face-to-face meetings spread across the vast area of northern um, um, Maputo land. And unfortunately, nearly all of the local communities were not able to attend these meetings face-to-face. In fact, most of them didn't know about it. The Isimangalisi failed to consult the Nabella community specifically about this. So my organization and the Legal Resources Center have engaged with Isimangalisi on the inadequate and lack of meaningful engagement and consultation with communities on the ground. We've been in a series of meetings with the Department of um, environments, environments protected area management team and Isimangali. So unfortunately, those talks are still ongoing. We haven't reached resolution. In the meantime, both of the police investigations into the killing of the two men over the span of a year and a half have really been proceeding at an extremely slow pace. Um, documents, photographs of the crime scene have gone missing. Um, there's been harassment of witnesses. Although a post-mortem was done, it took 14 months for the post-mortem report, for the state post-mortem report, to reach the investigating officer. And despite the Legal Resources Centre asking the authorities, both the Isimangalisa and the department under Minister Barbara Creasy, neither have made their reports and investigations public nor given them to the Nguli family. So we're seeing a kind of toxic mix of police kind of policy incoherence at quite a high level of police failure, of poverty and human rights abuses, but particularly this issue that you're raising around really lack of recognition of and respect for indigenous communities' customary rights, which straddle both the right to be consulted meaningfully, as you've said, and then through that meaningful consultation to understand their particular cultural practices and then to, together with them, be able to balance yeah, the exactly. need to protect the environment with the right to livelihoods and the right to access resources for food security. And, and know, we, we need to do that balancing act, but we can only do it if we actually engage meaningfully with these communities. You know, we um, have to close off, but Jackie, I think what's really interesting about this story is that it is, this is not a one-off. This is a story that we have got to engage with uh, around our country with regards to how we look at um, heritage sites, how we look at um, sites of reserves, etc., where we have huge opportunity eh, to to protect our, our, our nature and to protect our tourism, but at the same time to protect the communities. Uh, and and it, can, it should not be a binary. Yes, Michelle, we need to understand the, the poaching narrative next to the, the poverty and human rights exactly. issues and the power yeah. authorities that rangers appear to be, to be acting on, which is going to undermine, as you say, the sustainability of not just the natural resources, but also our critical ecotourism industry. I wish you all the very best with this case as it moves forward, and uh, I wish the Kwa Nibela community as well.
best luck as they follow up with this as well. That's Jackie Sunday. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you for raising this issue. Jackie Sunday is a researcher working with the Coastal Justice Network, closely uh, engaged with Isimangalisa Wetland Park in South Africa's very first World Heritage Site, but uh, also focusing on what it means for a community that may live on the borders but have the lake within the reserve itself. It's 7.23.